May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Everyone likes the rags-to-riches story, like the one about Joe Rowling. Maybe you've heard this one. She was in a coffee shop one day, um, down to her last dollar, um, sitting there, bought a cup of coffee and took a napkin. And on a napkin, she began to sketch out uh, an idea, her last kind of uh, idea about, um, about writing a novel. And so she kind of sketched out the, the parameters of this novel on this napkin, and, um, and it became... Uh, one of the hottest selling novels in the world. In fact, she wrote a series of these novels. Um, you know her by her, uh, her, her uh, author name, J.K. Rowling. She wrote the Harry Potter novels. A real rags to riches story, down to her last dollar, and now she is perhaps, you know, one of the wealthiest women, the wealthiest people for that matter, in the entire world. Um, a true to life, rags to riches story. And it's that movement, that movement uh, from, from nothing to, to uh, wealth or whatever it is that kind of incites such, um, I don't know, hope in, in people, especially people who are in, in real need. It, you know, I was reading just this week that, um, that there is more inequality between the wealthiest people in the United States and the poorest people, especially when compared with, um, with uh, many European countries. But that most people in the United States would not change their economic system because they felt like the possibility of upward mobility was actually better in the United States than anywhere else in the world. And it was that possibility that made them want to hold on to their way of life. Well, it's, it's that possibility that's the predicate for every sort of story like that. Um, you remember the Oliver Twist novel or maybe Cinderella or my favorite Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You remember Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? You remember when Charlie spends his last dollar to get the, the Wonka bar and, and there's no golden ticket in there? You remember how your heart sank and you're just you're rooting for Charlie, you know? But, but, and then he finds the wrapper in the gutter. And there it is. He found his golden ticket. These stories always give hope. They inspire. Things can be different than what they are right now. But what about when the story goes the other way? The, the riches to rags stories, because there are many of those. Uh, take the, the pitcher, J.R. Richards was a pitcher for the Houston Astros. Was at the top of his game, you know, was the most sought-after pitcher in the world. And uh, in a few years, he was homeless. Um, the riches to rags stories are actually more common than they are the other way around. Someone wins the lottery, and in a few years, they're, uh, they're living in poverty. Uh, they're 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 shocking. It, you know, when, when we hear somebody has you know some some great windfall has come their way, we're we're shocked by that. We're not shocked when it goes the other way because it happens so often. In the Bible, there is a riches to rags story, and it's the nation of Israel. If you read Isaiah's prophecy for thirty nine chapters, he's pretty much been saying, you know, this nation had everything. They were God's special people. There's this, there's this great word in Hebrew, segulah. This is what, what, what Moses says to the people. You will be my segulah, my special treasure, my treasured possession. Moses says, this is what Israel could be, God's special treasure. And Isaiah says, this is what you had been. You had everything. You had everything that you could possibly want. Your life was filled with such good things. With, with monetary riches, 
with a land flowing with milk and honey. You, you had your borders were expanding. Everything was good for you. And that wasn't enough. You weren't happy with that. In fact, you began to look at your neighbors around you, Israel, and you looked at your neighbors and said, we want to be like them. And so they began to, uh, to find preachers and teachers who would tell them exactly that, that, that you can do that, <laughs> you, can, you can have all that. All you have to do is kind of throw off this nasty covenant idea, you know? It's, it's so inconvenient. And, and so get rid of that. Get rid of this covenant with Yahweh. Have this kind of superficial religion, and then you can have what the other nations have. You can be just like them. And especially, especially, you have to get rid of that whole idea of caring for the poor. It's very inconvenient. And, and, and there, were faith, there were preachers who would tell them about this. That's fine. You can do it. Isaiah is not one of them. In fact, there were others like Isaiah who preached to Israel during this time. In fact, uh, if you look through the, through the Bible, right in the same section, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, and then go into those, those small prophet books, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and so on. Read these. These are preachers who would say to Israel, no, this is not the way things ought to be, but the tide was against them. Please, preachers, be quiet. We've got other plans. There are other ways we want to live. We have things we want to do. And and this whole covenant idea with God is just so inconvenient. And life is good. Look at our economy. We're doing well. Things are good. And they were good. Right up until the time that Babylon invaded Israel and took them into captivity. You know, that kind of messes things up a little bit when you get taken into exile. And the Babylonians, this, this... national, this superpower, this world superpower, comes in and they destroy, they killed people. They burned homes. They, they, they took people, slavery. They even went into Jerusalem and burnt the temple to the ground. The center of Jewish identity and nationalism. This, this symbol that said, look, God lives here in the middle of this people. Burned to the ground. Destroyed. As if to say... Your God is dead. He can do nothing for you. And what do you do when your God is dead? Well, you sing country and western songs. That's what you do, right? Or maybe the blues, you know, a little, you got to have a little pain and that sort of thing. I remember when I, back in the 80s, and maybe you don't remember this if, you don't, if your mind doesn't go back that far, but back in the 80s there was this big thing about, um, about rock and roll music had these like secret messages in it. Anybody remember that, you know? You had to take a record and you kind of moved it backwards and you could hear them, you know? It would say all kinds of bad stuff and, and oh, see, it's hidden right there. Well, I did a little experiment one time to see what would happen if you played country and western music backwards. You know what happened? You get your dog back and your wife back and your job. Yeah, good, you got it. Uh, I was worried that one was going to fail. Um, people in Babylon, you know, the, these exiles, they're singing sad, sad songs. What happened to the days when we used to live in our own land? When there was a temple in the center where God's people thrived and, and were doing well? That's not the way it is now. You can find a sad song in the, in the Psalter. It's the 137th Psalm. It goes like this, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows we hung up our lyres, our musical instruments. There our captors required of us songs. Our tormentors demanded, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. 
Wouldn't that be awful? You're, you're held captivity and your, 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 your captors are saying, sing us one of your God songs. We'd love to hear one of those about right now. How shall we sing of the Lord's, uh, the Lord's goodness in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I don't remember you, O Jerusalem. See, this is looking backwards. Oh, the good old days. What happened to the good old days? But it gets worse. This song moves from sadness to anger. Remember, O Lord. When they finally begin to pray, here's how they pray. Remember, O Lord, the Edomites, our neighbors who stood by and watched. On the day when they said, uh, lay it bare, lay Jerusalem down to its foundations. When they pray, they pray against their enemies. And they also pray against the Babylonians. And uh, and Babylon, doomed to destruction. Blessed is he who shall repay you for what you've done to us. Blessed is he who takes your little ones, your babies, and dashes them against the rocks. That's there in the Bible. That was a song that they sang. We can't wait for them to kill your babies, O Babylon. I'm sure that must have been, um, maybe we're losing it in translation, I don't know. But it must have been certainly set to a country and western tune that made it seem not nearly as painful. And then we get this text from Isaiah. It's in this context that Isaiah preaches this message. And this message doesn't sound anything like that. It doesn't sound anything. In fact, it's not what anyone is expecting. It's a new message. Did you hear it? Let me read it again for you. Comfort, comfort my people says your God. God is speaking, not the prophet. God says, comfort my people. The people in exile. The people who are singing sad songs. The people who only remember the good old days and know nothing of, um, of God's saving mercy. The people who rebelled against God. Who, who wanted to do their own thing. Who threw off their covenant with Him. God says to those people, speak to them tenderly. Speak to their hearts. And and it makes you shake your head. No! No, these people in exile are getting what they deserve. They're getting what they earned. They're the ones who abandoned God. They're the ones who should be punished. And that's not the way it works. The prophet says, In the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. God is coming to His people, not the other way around. Listen, you know when somebody does you wrong, here's how you do it. You hold it over their head and you make them beg for forgiveness. You make them grovel. Remember what you did to me? Yeah, you remember what you did to me, didn't you? Now come back here and say you're sorry the right way. That's not what God does to His people. He doesn't do it again at all. He comes to them. Which is why the prophet says, Go up on a mountain, O Zion. Herald of good news, lift up your voice. Behold, your God is coming to you. And what's He going to do? Verse 11, He'll tend His flock like a shepherd. God is going to lead His people, gather them out into safety. God is going to rescue them. God still loves these people. He loves these people who have been unfaithful to Him. He loves these people who have abandoned Him. He loves these people who said they didn't have anything to do with Him. All they have to do is wait. Wait on Him to come. And so they wait. (laughs) And they wait, 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 and they wait some more. And suddenly, someone shows up and says, I'm that voice. And this guy has on this camel kind of skin, 
and he's got little grasshopper legs sticking out of his teeth and a big old bushy beard, and nobody takes him seriously. Really? You're the voice crying in the wilderness, John the Baptist? Yes. I'm coming to tell you something, that God has come to set his people free. And maybe some of us need to hear that message afresh today, too. That God comes in Jesus Christ to set his people free. Maybe it's freedom from, you know, a harsh judgmentalism that they grew up with. Maybe someone here today needs to know that, that God sets us free from that. And maybe it's freedom from a habit that promised freedom, but really is something that enslaved us. Maybe it's freedom from fear. Tormented by the what-ifs of life. Freedom from a secret sin. Freedom from anger and rage. Maybe it's freedom from, from seeing yourself in a, in a wrong light and not understanding that God loves you because of who you are. He loves you just the way you are. That God doesn't want you to, to be richer or prettier or smarter or whatever for Him to love you. He loves you just like you are. And that's the message of Isaiah. That it's not because people deserve it that God loves them. It's not because they've earned it. It's not even because they've said, I'm sorry enough. You notice in this passage, God shows up first. He comes before the people say they're sorry. Make a highway, make straight. This is good news. In fact, the passage two times, good news shows up. God comes to save His people in the person of the Messiah, Jesus. That's why we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel.